So thank you all for joining today. We're actually going to be speaking about worship, uh, one of the core values of the church. And I was actually really excited, in a ways, when Craig asked me to speak about this topic, mainly because worship is a topic that's very difficult to talk about. And the reason worship is so difficult to talk about is because most people think it's a very narrow topic, but it's actually very wide. It's actually a very broad topic. So initially, when I started to talk about worship, I said, which angle do I want to take? And I actually remember having a conversation with Derek, and he uh, referenced me a couple people to go and look at just to help prepare for the message today. But when I say worship, just to give you some examples, if I were to say, let's worship the Lord, I'm not judging you right now. I'm not trying to be critical, but I do want us to be honest. If I say, let's worship the Lord, what does that mean to you? What do you think? Singing. Is there anyone that thinks differently? If I say, let's worship the Lord. I'll probably say majority of the people inside and outside of the church, when we say we're going to worship the Lord, to them it means singing. However, worship is so much more than singing. And that correlation of worship and attaching it to singing only exists in the church. If you think I'm not telling you the truth, let's put that to the test. So if I say right now you worship your spouse, do you think I'm saying you're singing to your spouse? Right? Or you worship your job or your car or your house or your kids. Do you think I'm saying you worship those people by singing to them? No. So the rest of the world views worship as something that you're passionate about, something that completely consumes you, maybe even something that you idolize. Right. But inside and outside of the church, we view worship to the Lord as singing. So why do we do that? And one reason we may do that is probably because people outside of the church never see our passion when it comes to the Lord unless we're singing. Right. We're never identified as or have you ever been identified as a passionate giver or a passionate prayer or a passionate someone who's teaching or practicing discipleship? Have you ever been identified as someone who's passionate about building genuine relationships? Right. So. People normally correlate worship to singing because, singing because they don't see the passion in the other areas when we're talking about Christ. So that's just the beginning or an introduction of what we'll talk about today. I want us to open in prayer and then we'll get started. <clears throat> Lord, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity uh, to speak on worship today. Worship is something that's very important and critical in the church. And I just pray that I'm able to deliver the message exactly the way you want me to. And I pray they're able to receive it. In your son, Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. So worship. So here's some of the values that the church believes what worship is. And I'll read it aloud and let you read it to yourselves. Worship. Jesus deserves the worship of the world. How we live each day, welcome new people, give and serve our community through the church has a direct impact on how the people around us perceive the Lord and his kingdom. So worship is a very broad topic topic. And it's not just singing. However, don't get me wrong. Music is very important in the church. And I can I can assure you when I'm going to a church, sometimes that's one of the first things I think about is what's the music going to be like? What's the worship going to be like? But music in the church is necessary. And let's be honest, it's awesome. Right. It's absolutely awesome. When I go back to the United States, one of the most important things I look forward to is the worship that I'm going to receive when I go into the church. I love the music. 
I love the vocals. There's nothing more beautiful to me when a woman stands on stage and she has a beautiful voice and she's singing. Right? And I just love it. And I enjoy it. And I, I yearn for it time and time again. But worship is so much more than music. And if I were to be honest, worship, people, religion have done just as much bad for the church as it has good. Let me give you some examples. In the United States specifically, and I'll say the world as well, but in the United States, the holiest day of the week is which day of the week you think? Perceived holiest day of the week, Sunday. But Sunday is also, in the United States, the most segregated day of the week. That's the day you're going to have your blacks go to their church, your whites go to their church. People who worship traditionally are going to go one way. People who worship with a contemporary faith are going to go a separate way. Baptists are going to go this way, Methodists, Episcopal, Catholics, Protestants. It's the day we're most segregated in the United States. And one reason because of that is worship. So worship, while it has a lot of great things about it, the music alone has done great things in the church, but it's also divided the church in many ways. So let's see what the Lord says about what worship is and how we should worship. So I'm not going to read all of Psalms because Psalms is pretty long. Psalms 140 through 150 will tell you a lot about worship, but I'm just going to read Psalm 150 right now to you. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So what is he saying there? Any instrument that you want to praise the Lord is okay to praise the Lord. Right? There's no right answer on how you should praise. If you want to praise in the traditional method, do it. If you want to praise in the contemporary method, do it. But that's not a reason for us to separate ourselves from each other as believers. Worship through music is something that's beautiful, but it should never be used as a tool for us to separate ourselves from other believers or ridicule or point fingers. As a matter of fact, if we want to study the history of music and how organs, which is the main traditional uh, belief, if we want to study how organs came into the church, if you research Ireland, right, it was during the time where um, the Christian movement was big in Ireland and they were actually trying to get people out of the pubs into the church, right? So they said, hey, within the pubs, they listen to organs. So if we play these organs in our church, maybe they'll want to come to our church as well, right? And I'm serious. Please do your research. So organs, the music that we say, this is the holiest of holies, started because that's what they played in the pubs of Ireland, right? And now that's what we consider traditional worship today. So any music or any symbols or songs or strings or harps that you identify that you use as a tool to worship the Lord is okay, as long as you're using it to edify the Lord. So if music is the only way you know how to worship the Lord, what happens when the music stops? What happens when you're not singing anymore? What happens when you walk out of this door and life hits you in the face? Right? What happens when that bill doesn't get paid? Or you lose that job? Or your spouse leaves? 
or your spouse cheats on you or your son does get into that college. Right. Or your daughter does marry that guy. Right. <laughs> what happens then? Right. I'm not talking about you, too, by the way. But, <laughs> right? What happens then? Right. Singing is not going to get you through that situation. So what are the other forms of worship? Let's talk about some of the other forms of worship. Prayer. Prayer is a huge form of worship, right? Praying. And I believe Derek's or Sam, I forget which one spoke about prayer, either last week or the week before. Prayer is a huge form of worship. Fasting. I actually came off a fast about six or eight weeks ago, and fast has a lot of great benefits. It's good for the body, uh, physically and spiritually, as far as truly um, seeking the Lord. I can sure after you come off a 48 fast of drinking nothing but water, you better have some real conversations with the Lord because you are going to want to eat if you want to continue that fast. So fasting is a great way of worshiping, giving, loving, reading, teaching, meditating, prophesying, evangelism, humility, perseverance. I can go on and on, but all these are different ways of worshiping the Lord. But the most important is be thankful, guys. Be thankful. There are so many things you have to be thankful for, but the more and more the Lord blesses us, we forget about what those things are. And I'll talk about what that is shortly. But worship or singing, when you're practicing these things throughout the week, when you're practicing fasting and praying and teaching and building disciples and relationships, and all of this energy is leaving because you're just doing the Lord's will on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday. When you come in here and sing, that's that overflow of emotion that's just built up throughout the entire week. You're so weak or you're so yearning for the Lord to where you just naturally pour out in song. Right. So that's what the song does for us. When we're pouring our heart out to the to the Lord Monday through Saturday throughout the week. We come and get rebuilt during worship, during the singing portion on Sunday. Right. So that should be the act of what we've done throughout the week. And that should be reflected on how we worship or how we sing on Sunday morning. Well, please understand the Lord. And I hope I don't offend anyone by this next statement. And if I offend you, please know I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person that's sitting right next to you. So if you think I'm talking to you, erase it out of your head. I'm talking to the other guy or the other lady. Right. But if you don't spend any time with the Lord on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday and you come in here and sing a song, that's not worship, guys. He wants more from you than a song. He died on the cross for you. He gave his only son for you, and he wants more from you than a song. All right? If you sing a song to him, great. But he wants more from you than that. It's more than a song that he's looking for from you. He wants to have a personal relationship with each and every one of you. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. So this is, these are just some scriptures on how we should dedicate ourselves to the Lord um, and how we should worship. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Test. Test yourselves. Understand what is the will, what is the perfect will of God, right? And you have to understand and study the scriptures to understand what his will is. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. For in one body, we may have people who worship traditionally. We may have people who worship contemporary. Contemporary. We, have, we may have people who have Baptist beliefs, or Methodist beliefs, or Pentecostal beliefs, or Episcopal beliefs. But what does he say about that? In one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same office. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members. Forgive me. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophesy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who extorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So what the Lord is saying here is we may be different. We may be a church made up of many different believers, how we serve and how we worship the Lord. But we're strong in unity. We're not strong individually. And an example someone explained to me, the body has many different members, but you need all of those members to make a body. So if you looked at me and I was just all legs, I had legs here, legs here, legs here. The first thing that comes to your mind is what? That's freaky. He's deformed. He has a problem. But why don't we view the church the same way? When people come in and they don't think exactly the way we do, and we cast them on and say, no, if you're not a Baptist, you can't come in here. If you're not a Methodist, if you're not Episcopal, if you're not this, oh, you like to worship contemporary style, you're not welcome here. If we only had a church made up of exactly the same people to the outside world, that would be a deformity. And it should look like a deformity to us as well. We're strong in our differences. Right. And scripture says that over and over again, we're strong in our differences. We need some people for praying. We need some people for teaching. We need some people for giving and loving. But if we just had a church of people who were only good in praying, that homeless person doesn't need prayer. That person needs to be fed. Right. So I can go on and on. That's not the purpose of today's message. So let me continue. So. True worship is a continuous growth and purification of our spirit. We must be consumed by the Lord. It's very cliche when you hear someone say, hey, whatever you do, please keep the Lord first in everything that you do. That's a very cliche saying, but it's true. Right? It's true. We really should keep the Lord first in every single thing that we do. Where you're going to go and eat, what you're going to wear, which car you're going to drive, where you're going to work, where you're going to put your kids in school, how are you going to raise your kids? How are you going to discipline your kids? What are you going to watch on television around your children? Everything should filter through the Lord. Because the second we choose not to do that, we have no idea what we're introducing ourselves to. Right? The Lord protects us from so many things every day, we don't even see all the things he protects us from. So we should always be consumed in his blessing. And it's too late to ask the Lord to fix a problem after, you've already, after you're already in that problem. So what do I mean by that? Let's say you have a child. That child is a daughter or a son. 
and you've never raised that child properly. You've never spent time with that child. You never taught that child how to love a woman or how to love a man or how to submit to a woman or how to submit to a man or how to behave in school or how to do things that a child should do. You've never taught that child that. And then that child gets into trouble or marries the wrong person or gets arrested. It's kind of too late to intervene at that point, right? It's already happened, right? So filter, ask the Lord to be a part of your life every single day, how you should raise your kids, how you should love your wives. Can the Lord get you out of those situations after they happen? Absolutely. But don't wait for the situation to happen to depend on the Lord. Depend on the Lord every single day for everything that you need from him. So lack of worship is not necessarily an indication that a person is lost. However, if we remain in this state, of not having a desire to worship after being taught, just please seek the Lord to understand why. So that doesn't mean you're lost if you don't have a desire to worship, but it's not normal. Um, so please seek the Lord if you are in that state today. So personal examples. I always like to give personal examples um, of what I'm thankful for or how I worship. And the biggest is the fact that I'm here in Malaysia. Right? I thank the Lord continuously for being in Malaysia. Right? I have a great job. My family's healthy. I have a beautiful wife. My kids are healthy. I don't have concerns. My wife can stay at home and raise our kids. And the only sacrifice he asked me is to support the church. So, Lord, you'll give me all this, and the only thing you ask for me is to support the church? I accept. My boss at work requires much more than that. And all he asks is to say, hey, just support the church. When you have time, support the church, lead the people, teach, fill in the blanks. I accept, Lord. And I'm able to travel the world as a result of it. I'll give you another example. And this one is kind of personal. So I used to work for a company called Halliburton. Um, I was a plant manager at a company called Halliburton in Sinai. And I just have a habit, I just speak to everyone. It's just, I don't even think about it, I just speak, I talk to everyone. So the janitor was in the cafeteria one day, nobody else was in the cafeteria, so I sit down with them, we're having lunch, and we're just talking, uh, one of the janitors. So somewhere in the conversation, I said, hey, just come over to my house sometime. And he really held me accountable to that. He actually said, okay, great. He asked for my number. That Saturday, actually, he called me and said, hey, can I come over today? As a matter of fact, you can. I'm not doing anything. Come over. I think we only had one child at the time, so it was easy. Um, so I said, yeah, come over. So he comes over. We're talking for a little while. And then I just start asking simple questions that are normal questions that expats ask other expats. Hey, what did you do for dinner last night? Right? And his response was, oh, I had a great dinner last night. It was actually him and his friend. He said, I had a great dinner last night. Really, what did you eat? Rice and curry. Oh, me just being a naive expat, what else? That's it. Okay. So what are you doing for dinner tonight? Oh, tonight, special recipe. Great dinner tonight. Oh, really, what are you doing for dinner tonight? Rice and curry. But it's a different curry, right? Okay, All right. So I started to ask more questions just to understand more about them. And what I started to realize is this guy's only making a thousand ringgit a month. He sends 850 ringgit back to Sri Lanka every single month um, because his dad hurt his back. His dad can't work. His sister's getting married. He's the only breadwinner, so he's surviving in Malaysia off 150 ringgit per month. I'm just sitting here. Just a lot of thoughts are going through my head that are, I'm actually ashamed in some ways, right? Um, because those are challenges that I've never experienced. So I said, okay. On the way home, I'm taking him home. I said, let's stop somewhere. I said, you can eat wherever you want. Just choose. Of course, he didn't know any restaurants in Malaysia. He said, you just choose. So we went to a mamak stall, and he gets his food. He comes back to the table. And what do you think he has on his table? 
rice and curry. I said, God, get whatever you want. You can have whatever you want. So he goes back and gets another piece of chicken. I said, okay, I'll do it myself. So I just pile food on his plate and he eats it all, right? To this day, and I kid you not, you can ask my wife, he left probably three or four years ago. There's not, a, there's not a period of 30 days that doesn't pass. He's messaging me on Facebook. Hey, brother, how's it going? I love you. Hey, my mom wants to know how you're doing. And we're, we're like best friends, right? And I did nothing but just let him in my house, had a conversation with him, uh, and gave him some food and just was really interested in his lifestyle. Uh, so we stay in touch quite rapidly, but that's just a form of serving, right? Not, nothing intentional. I wasn't going out. Uh, looking for praise in this situation. It's just a form of serving, just having the heart of the Lord. Give you another example. Study, and I I warn you, please study your Bible. And the reason I say this, I learned this in the United States. When I was younger, they have these people in the United States that walk around on people's door and teach called Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah's Witness or Mormons. So when I was younger, I remember Jehovah's Witness came to my door and they knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, and my mom gave me this look, don't you dare open that door, right? <laughs> Be quiet, do not open that door. Why, mom? It's... She gives me the look, right? <laughs> don't do it. So for years, I didn't understand why I was not supposed to open the door, right? <laughs> Only later did I find out, ah, they're really, they're, they're sharing their belief of the Bible or Mormons. So I started studying and studying and studying, and then I was in college one day, and a Mormon knocked at my door. It's the greatest day of my life. <laughs> so he opens the door. I see him. I just start smiling. My roommates are in the back giggling because they know, right? So he says, hey, can I come in and share uh, the Book of Mormon with you? It's a, it's, a, it's a book about Jesus Christ, and I'm just listening because I, I've actually studied the Mormon book in detail just to understand what they believe in. So I said, sure, absolutely come in. I have a couple of minutes. So I said, hey, here's the deal. I'll give you five minutes to talk about whatever you want. I'm not going to say anything, all right? After that, you give me five minutes to talk. You don't say anything. And I said, if you want to continue after that, we'll do one more five-minute session, all right? After I spoke, of course, I said, well, we're finished. We're going to leave now. Um, but this, there were two of them. The second guy said, hey, is everything that you said, is it true? I said, absolutely, it's true. And he just gives me this look, and he walks out, right? But if I hadn't studied, if I hadn't been prepared, if I hadn't been worshiping the Lord up until that day, I would not have been prepared for that conversation. And it wasn't a conversation to prove that they were wrong. It was a conversation just to really share love with them and just to be sure, do you know what you're believing in? Right. I'll give you a recent example from Malaysia. I can't say names, for one, because this is recorded, and the person I'm referring to is actually um, very high in the Muslim community. He's actually attached to the royal family, one of the royal families. So he sees me with my Bible one day. He gives me this look and says, why are you reading that? And him and I have a good relationship, and I just simply say it because it's true. right? So this is somebody who's very high in the Muslim community, um, and we're having a very intense conversation. I said, because it's true. So we go back and forth, back and forth, and he starts asking me all these questions. He said, if it's so true, do you know anything that's in that thing? I said, I don't know. Test me. Let's see. So he asked me all these questions, and I'm just right, spinning off the answers. So then he starts to get more engaged in it. And then he starts sharing personal experiences um, that I can't go into detail right now. But by the end of the conversation, his heart changed, right? And we had some serious conversations to the, about Jesus Christ. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. But I was prepared for that conversation through worship, through love, through studying the Lord's Scripture up until that point. 
Now, I've told you all the good stuff. Don't get it wrong, I make mistakes as well. And I'll give you a recent mistake I made, Deepa Valley. Deepa Valley, for those of you who did not know, the church, the church supported, thanks to Marissa, not sure where she is, but the church supported a multitude of families in the Indian community by giving them 10 kg of rice, 5 kg of flour, I don't remember how much it was. Just, let's just say it was heavy. It was very heavy, okay? That's the moral of the story, it was heavy. So who knows where Larkin Flats is? Raise your hand if you know where Larkin Flats is. Larkin Flats in Johor Bahru. Okay. Where Larkin Flats, for those of you who have not been to Larkin Flats, 15-story buildings, right? So I'm bringing these goods that are heavy, right? And these people are in my car. And the first thing I think of when I pull to Larkin Flats is not serving. What do you think the first thing that comes to my mind when I see where this lady lives? I hope she lives on the first floor, right? <laughs> That's the first thing that came to my mind. I hope she was, so my attitude was complete downhill after that. So the first thing I say to her, I say, hey, is somebody going to come and help you carry this upstairs? She says, oh, no, I'll get it, I'll get it. So I scratch my head and I say, oh, I have to be a gentleman. I can't let her take it up. So I say, okay, okay, I'll, I'll carry it for you. What floor do you live on? She says, I live on the second floor. I say, okay, that's not so bad. So I go up. I'm walking, I go to the, get to the first floor, I get to the second floor, and I see her, I don't see her, she says, hey, come up one more. I forgot, Malaysia, the second floor is actually the third floor, right? <laughs> so I had to go up another flight of stairs. So I'm carrying all this stuff up the stairs, I'm sweating, Amy's with me. <laughs> we're, we're laughing at each other, but I get to the door, and she's like, do you want to come in? And after I catch my breath, I say, uh, no, I just want to go home. Um, and I didn't realize until two or three days later that I missed a great opportunity just to love and serve that person, right? Because I was so worried about going up a flight of stairs. Right? So I get it wrong as well. Right? So I don't always do what I should do correctly, but because of the Lord, I can repent for that. So when should you worship? When is the correct time to worship? What do you think? All day, every day, until death. And when I say until death... I'll give you the perfect example. Luke 22 and 42. This is about Jesus, actually. So this is when Jesus was actually in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was going up for persecution. Luke 22 and 42. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is where Jesus was actually looking at his future and realizing he was going to die. But he said, Father, take this cup from me. I cannot endure this pain that's about to come to me. He submitted to his father's will, and he said, hey, let your will be done. He continued walking forward, even though he knew he was going to die. So when should you worship? Every day, all day, even unto death. But the most important part about worship do not become bitter while worshiping. When people see you giving or serving or praying or fasting, they don't want to see a bitter person. We don't like bitter people. I'll give you an example. If you're going somewhere and somebody's serving you food, there's two different people but the same item. If that person is bitter, it makes the food taste completely different, right? If, if, if you're getting food served and the person comes up and you ask, hey, how's your day? My day is great. It's a beautiful day. 
I'm so excited. Your kids are beautiful. Your son has gorgeous eyes and they're just praising you with compliments. Your response is, man, that late, that, that waiter, she's awesome or he's awesome. And it just it just makes your restaurant experience more pleasant. But if you go up, hey, how's your day? Oh, my day's terrible. We're so busy. What do you want? I don't have time. My relief is late. Right. They're just complaining and planning and bickering. You're probably not going to enjoy that experience too well. So in both situations, they're providing you food. They're serving you what you need. But in one situation, a person is extremely bitter. The other situation, the person is extremely joyful. So when you're serving, when you're worshiping the Lord, don't be bitter. It's nothing to be bitter about. I'm not asking you to be fake. But if serving the Lord is difficult for you, again, seek the Lord and understand why. So I've shared a lot with you all today. But all combinations of worship, when they come together, prayer, fasting, giving, loving, serving, all these different types of worship, when they come together, that's where miracles happen. All right? That's where diseases are healed. That's where people get their jobs. That's where Jericho walls fall down. And if anybody believes those walls fell down just because people were singing and they did nothing before that, I encourage you to read the book of Joshua. Right? But they had a personal relationship with the Lord before that happened. And the biggest mistake that we as Christians, and when I say we, because I make this mistake as well, the biggest mistake that we as Christians make is we stop worshiping the Lord once he gives us blessings. Similar to what Egypt did when they, uh, similar to what the Israelites did when they were free from Israel or Egypt. And I'll give you an example. If you go to Africa or many places in the world, there's people who are hungry, who don't eat for days or weeks or months, and some even die. And it's not just Africa, it's many places around the world. And if you were a Christian in that environment and you prayed to the Lord for food and he provided food, what would your response be? You'd be extremely thankful. And when he put that food in front of your face, you'd be thankful and you'd be praying and you'd say, Lord, thank you for this meal because I don't know where my next meal is coming from. But now that we have jobs and we're educated and we're buying food with our own money, we think it's our strength that's putting that food on the table. And it's not. Because who gave you that education? Who gave you that brain? Right? Who gave you the job? Right? Who gave you all these things? The Lord provided all of that. Right? Or if you're that person who just got a new job, and your job is five miles away, but you don't have a car, and you're walking to work every single day, and you pray to the Lord, Lord, please give me a car. The day he provides that car, you will be overjoyed. But three months later, you probably won't even thank him for it anymore. Right? So be thankful, guys, to where everything that comes from us is from the Lord. Be thankful. And every time I go home, it's just like clockwork. When I see my friends, they know Mike's coming. He's going to talk about the Lord. After that, we'll go play basketball or to the movies. But first, he's going to talk about the Lord. And they just expect it, right? It's just an expectation now. So we just get it over with, and then we get to doing what we're going to do, right? But a couple years ago, one of my friends said, why is your passion after all this time still so strong? And I just looked him in the face, and I said, you know me, right? You know me. <laughs> I said, you know me. I said, you know my past, right?
Sorry, forgive me. Just memories. So I just remember the conversation. I said, you know my past, right? We, we grew up together. I said, I've had real problems, right? Real experiences, real pain, real frustrations to happen. Um, and he's always delivered me from those solutions, right? He's always delivered me from every situation I've ever been in. So why wouldn't I thank him? Why wouldn't I see him? I've dealt with racism and violence and poverty and all these different things, right? And, and violence and crime and drugs and guns. I've dealt with all of that, right? And my friends know my past. So I say, why wouldn't I? How could I turn my back on him? How could I turn from someone who's constantly delivered me from those things time and time again? Example I'll give, how many black Americans have you met in Malaysia, right? It doesn't happen. So I know he's evident in my life. So when I'm talking to people, that's where the passion comes out because I see time and time again how he's provided for me and he continues to over and over again. And the same way he's provided for me, the same way he's provided for some of you and you forget. You forget where you come from. You forget what he's delivered you from. You forget how probably you never had nothing and now you have everything. You forget how he's delivered you from that sickness. You're just forgetting on all the things he's done for you. So it's easy for you to think you're doing it on your own and you're not. All right, you're not. So three reasons we do not worship and I'll close. One reason we don't worship, anger and frustration. We're bitter, we're angry, we're upset. For whatever reason, I don't know what you're upset about, but there's never a good enough reason to stop worshiping the Lord. He, if, he, if he's done nothing else for you, he sent his only son to die for your sins so you don't have to say a thousand Hail Marys or you don't have to do more good things than bad things before you die. Right? He died for you. So you don't have to, if, he's, if he does nothing else for you, he's done enough. Right? So a lot of times we don't worship because we're angry or frustrated. Reason number two is because we don't know scripture. We don't understand what worship is or how we should worship. Study your scripture, study your Bible, right? And then number three is we don't meditate enough on the good things of Christ. We don't just sit in silence and remember all the things he's done for us in our life. So those are the three main reasons I challenge you all to what, I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ, but please, if there's anger or frustration or bitterness, give it to him. Walk away from it. Leave it alone. Study your scriptures and remember the good things that he's done for you. And the main reason I worship, to be quite honest, is because I've been forgiven. Right? I don't have to worry about going to hell when I die. I don't have to worry about living an eternity away from Christ. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. And if you think I am, ask my wife. Right? Seriously. So I'm very far from perfect. I recognize that. Do I strive to be perfect? Absolutely. Do I think I'm getting closer? I don't know. I really don't know. Right? But I'm forgiven for all of that. Right? Just because I believe in him. So I'm going to close us in a prayer from James. Chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And then after that, I'll ask the worship team to come lead us in a song before we close. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 